0: Hello, and welcome to Long Range Sensors, the show where we reminisce about growing up with Star Trek and discuss an episode from the vast library of the Star Trek franchise. Later in today's episode of Long Range Sensors, we'll be picking up the Deep Space Nine episode, Who Mourns for Mourn? But first, we want to thank Cosmic, Liwa, Sonu, Minipax, and Elcorn, our founding member supporters on Patreon, whose generous support has helped make this episode possible. If you want to find out how you can support the show and get exclusive benefits too, you can visit patreon.com slash My name is Alistair, and I'm a British expat residing in the Canadian province of Nova Scotia. Joining me from across the Atlantic over in London, England, is a man who has never once lost his keys in a transporter accident. It's Mr. Trevor Whale. Hello. How are you doing, Al? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, I never lost my keys in a transporter accident. I've
1: lost them in just 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 normal ways, which is, you know, not, <laughs> not very sci-fi. Down um, the back of the sofa. Yeah, never been in a transporter accident. Um, not looking forward to... Well, I would like to, I would like transporters to be invented, but... Um, I remember the episode uh, of Enterprise where it had the inventor of the transporter. I've got yes. the name of the dude now, but it was in a wheelchair, wasn't it? So I i remember that. And he said um, the first time he used his transporter, it took a minute for it to cycle, and he threw up the, the <laughs> when it finished.
0: I always hoped that that was something that they were really going to bring in a little bit more because next-generation transporters took the time that they did. And so did the original series ones. But the Voyager and Deep Space Nine ones were a little bit quicker. And then the Enterprise, which is a prequel to all of them, was faster still. And what I was kind of hoping was that they would build in some safety mechanism that just happened to make the transport process take a little bit longer. Yeah, And I thought that that would have kind of made sense as to why the transport was just so much faster Back in Enterprise. Yeah.
1: Oh, because it's an earlier version. It does less stuff
0: or something. Um, Or more, just less reliable. Yeah.
1: And a bit more jankier and like, yeah, not as complicated.
0: So they they add like a a buffer to help provide a little bit more stability, a little bit more reliability, but it does mean that the transport time takes a little bit longer. That was kind of my headcanon for it. Um, Yeah. Kind of a shame that they did. You you kind of have to do a lot of head when it comes to prequels in in a lot of cases. That's a fill in the gap. Yeah, it's
1: interesting it. they kept the next generation uh, transporter effect in through to Deep Space Nine. Through to like the end of Deep, Deep Space Nine, the kind of shower mm. curtain kind of effect. Whereas Voyager had its own, like I call it the six balls. It's like sort of six <laughs> balls that kind of extend outward, um, and that sort of it looks cool, but it's but it's different. And I was always confused as to why why that was different. Like what's so good is Voyager got a better. I mean, yeah, again, the head cannon was it, it would be like, oh yeah, it's it's a more up to date, tra- it's a more advanced transporter, so it's got its own different like cycle that looks different. Yeah, but i will be like, well, why are they still using that one on Deep Space Nine? On like you know because it uses the same one as Next Generation. But yeah, it's I struggled with head well, cannon. That,
0: that kind um, of, I mean, that does make sense because you've got the runabouts, and that's really because the station had the Cardassian transporters, whereas the runabouts and the defiant would have like had the federation yeah more standard stuff kind that. of ones so yeah but then in the movies they changed again so that's yeah it's right. always headcanon versus just budget effects budget and, uh, and stuff yeah, yeah that's that's it i mean it's, it's like kind of going back and going well why was it yellow and then it turned blue but when you go exactly, back to enterprise yeah. and it's blue then and you also look at phases phases are always red apart from the original series where those were blue so yeah you know, and where does you. it emanate
1: from you know sometimes <laughs> it goes
0: down from you down to the top of your head to
1: the bottom other, other ones the transporter just kind of emanates from your middle and then mm. golf you sort of thing it's just like what do those things actually mean um again it's really nitpicky I, i'll dig out or maybe it's explained in the technical manuals or on you know memory alpha but yeah um yeah. i think, I think we'll it just all depends on
0: on the direction the glitter flows in the water that's that's Pretty much it. it is, pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, in terms of uh, today, I know that you have said before on the show that you didn't really grow up with computers. Uh, you, or certainly, um, like no. in terms of a PC uh, when you were younger. That's right. um I have
1: you know, games consoles like, like Game Boy, NES, Mega Drive in the, in, in the 90s, all the way through to the, like, the end of the 90s when we had like PlayStation, and right at the very, very end of the 90s with like Dreamcast and stuff. But, um, Hmm. I mean, my dad was never bothered about getting a a, a PC in in any way. I mean, they were still quite expensive. Um, in the sort of you know, when I became interested in in them, and I became really really interested in PCs, when I had a friend of mine who had one, uh, a friend of mine, Philip, who I used to go and visit and uh, hang out with a lot, he was a really good mate. Um, he had a PC, he had like his own one. Uh, I think his dad was like worked in IT, so. He, you know, naturally he would just have computers because his dad was into them.
0: Mm. That
1: was my experience, main experience of PCs and also at school, of course. Um, and this was in the glory days of like Microsoft and, and Carter and the 80486 processor, uh, yep. Pentium One was kind of that, that sort of period. And I don't think I got a PC until, God, it was probably about 1997, 98. And it was a hand me down like 486. PC, but uh, I do remember using it for the internet. You could still surf pretty well on a, a 486. Didn't
0: really become kind of useless, I would say. Especially if you had the DX. I, I had the 486SX, yeah. which was never as good as the DX model. Um, but yeah. we're, we're we're going to be talking about computer accessories and utilities, and you yes. may have come in to the platform just towards the tail end of a lot of the stuff that we're, we're going to be discussing. Yeah. Um, but first, we're going to be talking about some of the hardware-related stuff.
1: I do remember seeing these advertised a lot, of course, like we talked about Starlog and Star Trek Monthly. They would always mm. talk about these various sort of MacGuffins that were Star Trek-related for your computer.
0: Yeah. That's it. And I'm going to send you a picture of one of the ads, and it's going to be in the show notes. So anybody listening, just head over to LongRageCensus.com and uh, go through to the episode, and you'll see these pictures here as well. But this is what they, they were advertising at the time. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that, yeah. I definitely <laughs> remember seeing that. Um, it might have been Starlog. So for those, for those listening, we're looking at the Brainworks kind of computer accessory kits that you, that you got. And it was, they would always be kind of advertised in a box that said, It's ah. And then you'd have the product name. So it's it's a keyboard, it's a mouse, it's a disc holder, and all this kind of stuff. And they are absolutely terrible. <laughs> they are a very strong royal blue. Oh, I used to think the colour was terrible, though. That's the only thing I didn't like. I thought the colour was like that.
1: It def- isn't starfleet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got a keyboard, which is uh, kind of laid out with some. Uh, some of them had red keys. Some of them had blue keys, depending on which model you got and a mix of, of uh, black ones, the, the, the colours of the keys make no sense. There's no, no. rhyme or reason pattern. to the layout of them. There's no pattern, no. Uh, no. You've got at the very exactly. top, there's a curved edge, which is basically the very front section of the saucer. You've got what are kind of makeshift warp cells for the sides. There's a palm rest that's got the Starfleet emblem kind of built into it as well. And in the upper right corner, there are a bunch of LEDs. And the LEDs were weird because you would have like caps lock and scroll lock and num lock and all those kind of things. And it even had modes where it would animate the lights in different patterns, which yeah. kind of felt it, kind of Star Trekky.
1: If it has lights, it's sci-fi, basically, was the, uh, the rationale there, I think. Blinking lights, lots of them, yeah. sci-fi. That's <laughs> it. Oh,
0: yeah. and, um, and there was also a, a mouse, which kind of looks like a futuristic car from the Jetsons more than anything Star Trek related uh, with a very yeah. small mouse pad, which I don't think you could really move very far across. Uh, there was a very, very crappy imitation of a shuttlecraft, which is basically just a block of blue plastic with stickers on it that would hold a bunch of floppy disks. And it's kind of, it, it's kind of akin to somebody manufacturing out of plastic, what you would have done as a kid with a cardboard box to make a shotgun. You just get a cardboard box, you paint it, and then that's your shuttlecraft craft to play in. It's kind of like that for discs. But probably the two most bizarre things um, was a mask that went over the front of your CRT beige computer monitor. So it was kind of like this blue kind of thing with Elcar style stuff down the side. It had a picture of the Enterprise at the very top. And... There was also a little holder that would kind of stick out that isn't in this picture, uh, but they called it a homework holder, and it's basically just an arm with a clip, <laughs> so that you could just l- like have a sheet of of paper <laughs> just right next to you, kind of hovering <laughs> next to your screen. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and the, the sad thing is, I remember at least wanting the mask for the computer when I was yeah, um, yeah when I was younger. I wanted that computer monitor mask. I mean, did you, did you look at any of this? and want any of it
1: no um it's <laughs> a bit um it's a bit crap <laughs> unfortunately yeah. i mean it's like the colors are like nothing to do with starfleet um the no, mouse just looks not. like just generic like rocking um rocket as like you say it's nearly as big as the mouse mat i mean the mouse mat's cool it's just the starfleet arrowhead which looks wicked mm. like a next generation com badge that's about the best thing really um the colours just so un- not very Star Trekky, like royal blue and red. The, sh- uh, the shuttlecraft looks—it's I mean, vaguely the shape of a shuttlecraft, but oh, it almost makes me think like these were actually meant for some other franchise with like like, like the abs- like the plain moulds of the various mm. bits, you know, like the mouse and the keyboard, and they were meant for some other sort of sci-fi franchise or just some kind of. Funky looking, colored, multicolored, fluorescent stuff. Well, they and did someone do... just kind of bought them and turned them into Star Trek themed. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, they did do these as like their own individual designs, but they did also do right. ones for Flintstones, Nickelodeon, and they also did a Spider Man one as well. All oh. right. Yeah, so they, they had a license to to all this stuff, but Brainworks, oh, they just they did such a crappy job. Um, I I just. I remember that the, the monitor mask was just, it was better than looking at a basic monitor, but it still didn't look great. And it was not long before I changed my mind. And I'm glad I never bought any of this stuff. Um, no,
1: um, it's very disappointing.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's the stuff that stood out to me uh, from the magazines because they yeah. would constantly be showing like Star Trek Monthly, which we talked about in the previous episode and so on. Um, but there was another company that did some stuff, which I did get some... Uh, things from. And you may have seen these as well, possibly. Uh, But it's a company called FunSource. Now, they did a bunch of different things. Uh, So the first thing that I had from them was a communicator communicator clock that they advertised as energize your workstation. Oh, cool. That looks very cool. Yeah. It's also a little crap. Um, The description (laughs) for it is an extremely realistic replica of the famed communicator. I highly disagree with that. (laughs) It's just, it's plastic (laughs) with uh, a very small window cut out just for a very simple LCD clock. And the front is actually a hologram of the Enterprise. So you've got like a little image of that. So that that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it accurate, although the dimensions aren't bad. I will acknowledge the weird
1: that. thing is I'm mm. getting like uh, the vibe I'm getting from this is I'm getting um there was these uh, Konami uh who made like uh, a video game um maker um they made like a bunch of lcd handhelds in the 90s uh, based on you know the games that they made and also the franchises that they made like Gradius and Contra um but they also had this the Star Trek license in the early 90s oh, really? and they made- oh. Uh, a handheld Konami um, Star Trek LCD game um, that I, I did never bought, but I really wanted to get uh, Star Trek 25th Anniversary. I'll try and um, I'm going to find a, a picture of that as, as, as well. But yeah, um, it, I'm getting that because it was in a very similar kind of um, plastic sort of, you know, those really difficult to open plastic boxes. Um, mm. That's why I'm kind of getting that vibe. I think, but yeah, um, similar kind of thing. A lot of things are packaged like like that in the nineties. They were horrendous yeah. to
0: open. <laughs> and, and, and this would have like a little stand on the back. Or there was also some sticky pads that if you peeled them off. You could actually stick it to your computer monitor or wherever else you wanted it. Um, and it, it was, as a clock, it was okay. I, I just had it on my desk. They also did. And this I thought was completely stupid uh, because I just thought, well, why am I going to need this? It is a portal of the future monitor mirror. It is basically the Enterprise looking very squished, uh, and you're kind of looking at top-down, and it just sits on the top of your monitor, and the very top surface is just a mirror. But it doesn't even look like it's that good of a mirror. It's more just a shiny so surface. Cool,
1: but but so I'm cool. like It looks like a belt buckle.
0: That's what it looks like. <laughs> it does. It looks like a belt buckle. Yeah. But it's also yeah. like, why would you want a mirror there? I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to be good enough to... Like do your hair and stuff. It's certainly not that's, big enough. And if you're, are you just kind of looking to see if your parents are sneaking up behind you? You know, that's if not they are, in any way, no. Well, if they are and you see them, it's already too late. They, yeah. <laughs> they have seen <laughs> what 40, you're doing in front of your computer. We're not going to come it. up with any possible
1: things <laughs> that you might be doing, but you get the picture. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, they also did a a CD jewel case for like the 10th anniversary um, that we've kind of got in the middle there. So it's just a, a, it's kind of like a picture of the Enterprise orbiting a planet, but it looks like Carbonite from Star Wars. So if you imagine, um, oh yeah, yeah. Han Han, Han Solo kind of frozen in that. It's basically like they've just put the Enterprise in Carbonite, but it was a a jewel case that held four CDs and was part of the 10th anniversary. I never saw this one anywhere, but I did see it advertised but again of these kind of things there was just the communicator clock um they, Four CDs they were, is useless as well that's like you know you can put your encarta
1: in there your windows 95 install disk and you've already used nearly half of it
0: <laughs> well well, this is the thing they had other ones as well so they had uh and i had both of these they had the shuttle magellan as uh, a shuttlecraft that that is yeah. yeah, it's it's a metallic silver rather than the kind of beige off white color that the actual shuttles. But absolutely great, and it opens up kind of like a you know like a duck's beak in a way. It just the whole the yeah. top kind of opens up.
1: Yeah.
0: And that was a CD holder that held I'd say probably about ten CDs, something like that. Uh, so that that was a, a pretty decent CD holder, and it was kind of a, an off angle, so it wasn't laying flat. It was on a um had kind of like a built-in stand that just kind of had it that tilted good, slightly up into the side. But yeah, that was that was really good. They also had one for the Enterprise D as well. And again, the saucer section would kind of lever open, and you'd have a bunch of discs inside, and they would all kind of fan out, which was also oh, kind of neat. So cool. Quite compact, and the saucer section actually uh, separated, so that it would actually become a portable case. But it actually looks
1: good on your desk, though, as well, which is great. Yeah. It's not like a weird, bulbous thing.
0: <laughs> they, well, really they don't cool. even look like they're CD holders. They just look like they're no. just models. They, they went quite yeah. well next to all my Playmate stuff. Um, yeah. So it was kind of a mix. They had some good stuff, some things that were just kind of naff and didn't make sense. Uh, and the last thing that I never saw in person, but again, this ad- uh, advertised, was that they had a Type 1 phaser mouse. And I, I, I remember seeing it and just thinking, hey, it looks cool, but it, it's, it doesn't look that comfortable. Uh, but it had lights and sounds no. so the very front would light up red. Um, and it was a serial mouse. So this is how far back we're going. The old nine pin serial ports. Um, yeah, you need a drive <laughs> so.
1: for it probably. And uh, yeah, you could just whack that thing in and have it work. Yeah, there'd be a bit of setup for that. Windows yeah. 95 would probably pick it up, but uh, yeah, you might struggle a lot, uh, otherwise. They'll probably have to install it, install the driver disk.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not like USB. It's not plug and play for <laughs> these. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, but I just remember when I was a kid looking at going, like, okay, well, I mean, the, the Type 1 phaser it kind of got taken out of Star Trek quite early on. It wasn't yeah, in it Next was, Generation for what, very long.
1: like the first two seasons, perhaps? Um, at, at most.
0: I mean, it, yeah, like. um.
1: I don't know what the distinction between, I, I think maybe they realise, but there was the bigger Fae, the Type 2 is, is the bigger one, isn't it? That, that was being used in the first season as well, like a rounder version. Yeah, that so,
0: rounded one they nicknamed the Dustbuster because it looked like an 80s yeah, Dustbuster. Yeah, yeah. And then they ended up with the Streeter version, which they nicknamed the Cobra because it looked a bit like a snake. And then by the time First Contact came out, so for the movies and then also later on for Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they had the more curved shape Type 2 phaser, uh, which they nicknamed the Dolphin. Yeah, and
1: the Cobra wasn't because there was some kind of uh, G.I. Joe versus Star Trek crossover thing that uh, would be my dream <laughs> if, if that did happen. That's but, your head um, cannon, right? Yeah, yeah, Cobra Commander is still around in the 400 years' time somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe it's his descendant or something man- manufacturing weapons for Starfleet. Um, but yeah, it was weird. Yeah, they had, they had the two different, they had loads of different forms, and that one was like almost one that they would keep in a small pocket in their uniform, wasn't it? That perhaps they mm. weren't. I don't know. Would they just have it on them at all times? It wasn't really, you know, defined. Whereas the big one you'd take on a huge away mission where there was danger, perhaps. So yeah, it was a bit odd. That was quite in- inconsistent. Uh, yeah, in those early especially as. <laughs>
0: They always just had holsters that just appeared out of nowhere. Anyway, so yeah, um, <laughs> the the magic of futuristic uniforms just randomly Titten appearing pockets. pockets. That's it. Yeah, um, but there was also some uh, really interesting software that came out around this time as well, and I am going to talk about Sound Source Interactive first because they formed the basis of a lot of this kind of stuff. They released some. Yes audio packs called virtual reality audio clips, which they considered the talking utility for windows. And this was back during the windows 3.1 days. They provided sound effects, dialogue and music cues that you could use for opening specific apps for different events in windows, all of that kind of stuff. They also let you create hotkeys as well. So you could actually launch an application and it play a sound and and stuff just from a keyboard shortcut, which was pretty neat. And all these sounds yeah. were WAV files. But I remember having a couple of these. I had uh, a set that was for the motion picture, and also for the next generation. And I, you know, you you kind of have things where Windows would start up, and suddenly you'd have McCoy saying, "Beware Romulans bearing gifts," and a lot of Wait, these yeah. kind of quotes <laughs> from the films that. That still stick with me, not as much from the movies itself, but from it being part of this talking software that they had. Um, But they also used QSound's technology. So QSound is a positional three-dimensional sound processing algorithm from QSound Labs. And this I'm taking straight from Wikipedia, by the way, as well. Um, And it says that it creates 3D audio effects from multiple monophonic sources and sums the outputs to two channels for presentation over regular stereo speakers. And from what I can recall from a long time ago, the quality was actually very good. I mean, they're, they're literally just taking mono sound and making it sound stereo, but it was really, really good quality. And this technology was used in a lot of stuff. Uh, Sega and Capcom used them for a lot of things. They were in Sonic CD, Sonic R, Sonic Adventure, all of those kind of ones. Even in the Sega CD version of Echo the Dolphin, uh, Capcom used them in Marvel versus Capcom and X-Men versus Street Fighter. So my arcade machine that has both of those games in is probably using q Sounds technology in that there as well. And they even used it to master some audio for over 60 albums, including the Soul Cages by Sting. Uh, the Immaculate Collection by Madonna. There was Pulse by Pink Floyd, and even in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the movie from 1991. So, yeah, I remember um, a lot of Capcom games
1: would have it as one of the intro screens. That like, this is presented in Q Sound or something would, yeah. would come up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, That's Q really Sound's technology being used by SoundSource Interactive for all these clips was then used in a bunch of other stuff as well, which we'll we'll go into in a moment.
1: I do like the um, the cover of the uh, motion picture audio clips because I'm kind of fond of Star Trek V. Uh, again, that's a discussion for another time. that would be a really big discussion, I think, with Star Trek V being quite, quite polarizing. Uh, but, but it's actually at the same time, as much as I like the cover, it does really that particular shot of the Enterprise going around um, uh, the, the planet in the sh- shockery. Yeah. It really brings up like the shoddy effects because like, you see the Enterprise does not blend with the background plate of shoppery, <laughs> it's not got the same colours or anything. I think because it wasn't ILM, it was Associates and Ferran that made the special effects in that film, which is why they're kind mm. of a bit below par. So it's interesting that they chose that, but it still is kind of a weirdly a nice shot at the same time, because it's a kind of a cool angle of the, the Enterprise that we didn't typically that's get. That's it. Yeah. The,
0: the composition of the layout is good. It's a really good head-on, just slightly off angle shot as it's kind of banking to the left. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, yeah. and so... The covers for, for both of these packages, uh, I'm, I, I, I still have banked in my memory uh, after all these years. Um, they yeah. also did a few other ones. They did ones for the original series. They did, uh, apparently, they did an Encounter at Farpoint and Best of Both Worlds sets as well. So they, they did a bunch of these different audio clips. Um, they also had uh, a DS9 limited edition entertainment utility, and they did one for Voyager as well. And those were kind of similar in that they had audio clips. They also had a screensaver that had pictures and video clips and also a jigsaw. It would just generate a jigsaw image. Then you could choose your difficulty and stuff. Yeah. So that, that's what Sound Source Interactive were, were doing back in the in in the mid-90s.
1: The, these were hugely popular, these little knick-knacky kind of software bundles. Oh, where you yeah. get, it wasn't just like Star Trek. There'd be other franchises that would have these. Um, oh, there was just ones that them. weren't even like of a, of a franchise. Just be like, here's a hundred funny clips for windows or a hundred funny sound effects. Um, Cause you know, these weren't things where now, you know, you would just search the the internet for a, a funny clip of a sound of something. But hmm. in in those days um, you had to buy like archives of these things basically. And especially if you wanted your favorite TV show, you could be able to sound like it. Um, they would release these bundles. So yeah, they were they were super popular. That's why they kept making them. Um people mm. just went nuts buying them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you were you ever aware of the after dark
1: screensavers as well? Uh yeah, I was. I mean, again, not because I, I had them, but um mm. again, reading about them in, in in magazines, often there'd be here's the latest, you know, after dark screensaver, you know. Um, and um, because again, gen, like like screensavers were things that were generally, you know. Popular software that people would buy because you couldn't go on the internet. You could download new ones. Um, so if you wanted more screen savers, you know, part of, uh, you know beyond the ones that are built into the the operating system. And obviously, we're talking probably you know if this Windows ninety five. That would just be the uh, the flying toasters or the Windows like uh, logo flying through space one and all those sort of that that first person maze one with the brick, the red bricks. It was yeah. that was like it. That was all you had. So if you wanted more, um, you had to buy them, you know. So, yeah, I, yeah. Def- I, I remember them for sure.
0: Well, the Flying Toasters was one of the After Dark modules. So After Dark was yeah, a screensaver yeah. suite made by Berkeley Systems. And it would come with a bunch of modules, which are basically just their own little screensavers with their own options. Uh, the most popular one being these Flying Toasters with wings and Flying Toast as well. And you could adjust with the settings. You could adjust how well done the toast is. Which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, so but they cool. made some standalone products that were based on After Dark, so they were basically After Dark modules. But you didn't require After Dark to run them. They did one for Star Trek, the original series, and one for the Next Generation. And these were for Windows three point one and for any Mac Plus running System Six, and it was also compatible with System Seven as well. So just so people kind of have a, a gauge on kind of the the systems that these were on. And they would use audio clips from SoundSource Unlimited. Oh, cool. So, uh, well, I say SoundSource Unlimited, um, and we've said before SoundSource Interactive. They seem to kind of switch between the two names. I don't know if they just changed yeah. the name of the company, but, but SoundSource, anyway, they, they provided yeah. these audio clips. So you were getting some really good high-quality audio in it as well. And there was a bunch screen savers and i'm not going to go through every single one because we'll be here all day huh, yeah. but there there was a lot i mean it was something like it was so easily somewhere between like 10 and 20 screensavers per pack yeah the original series one i never had i did see it but the next generation one is the one that i did own and the big one for me was bridge encounters now anybody who's played star trek of final unity will kind of get a sense as to how it looks because it's very much like the bridge setup within that game. You have the crew on the bridge and the bridge would not be centered on the screen. It would kind of be in a different place each time and it would switch to the main view screen. Um, And you would have, like every time it flipped back, there might be something else, like an exocomp might be flying around the bridge. Uh, they may be wearing the headsets from the game. Uh yeah. There's also on the view screen, you've got... uh Creatures like Gumto, the aliens from *Encounter at Farpoint*. Uh, you'll see the crystalline entity. There'll be Q. All of these different things, and you've even got a scene from *Parallels*, where all the Enterprises start appearing one after the other. And then you start well, after that, seeing other bridges through the view screen, where you've got Troy in the captain's chair, where you've got Picard and Riker playing music, and and, and so on. It's absolutely a ton of fun, and. Um, It was just the variety and and stuff was just a lot of fun. They also had the Borg who would beam in and just randomly appear and start assimilating your desktop. You had Worf uh, who would come in with Alexander with an anti-gravity case that had swords and phasers and he would just blast and slash up your desktop and stuff. Uh, They had some Elkar style things where they had personal files. Um, They showed some science stations. There's all kinds of stuff. And if you go on YouTube, you can search for these and there's a bunch of people who've, put up the actual ones themselves the original series had things like um spock would go around blasting things or you would have tribbles just piling up and they did do a similar kind of thing to the bridge encounters with kirk on the bridge Uh, that those those were a lot of fun they weren't the only screensavers though Um, system 47 is one that you might be familiar with i don't know if you've ever seen that one um, it doesn't actually ring a bell. Uh, the other ones did, but this one, no, I'm not familiar with. So this is from somebody who just went by the name Me Who. So it's at mewho.com slash system47. It's still available. It was freeware. I don't know if it runs on anything newer than Windows XP. And it was made for, like, System 7 and through to some of the early versions of, uh, of Mac OS X on, on yeah. PowerPC and Intel. So it, it's going back some time, and it was made in Macromedia Flash 4. So before Adobe even got Flash, you know. Um, But there's been so many derivative Car stuff I've seen where people have actually used the actual Cars from this screensaver, where they've just kind of like just cut and pasted them into something else, um, which is quite a big thing. But it would show you kind of system displays, monitoring a, a system and planets and things. And that was a ton of fun. I had... The height that I was using the screensaver, I had an, an iBook G4, a Power Mac G5, and a Mac Mini. So the iBook had its own screen. The other two were on 20-inch cinema displays. And just having the screensaver running on all of them was just a, it was just cool because it was just like a, the actual bridge of a ship. Um, and it looks
1: really just like the, the, the detail and the care. Into it. it looks like, like Michael Okuda could have like drawn this stuff oh, um, himself. The,
0: yeah. yeah, the quality is phenomenal if you have an old computer uh that's still able to run flash and that's compatible give it a, a check out because it's it's well worth it um and of course the name 47 is a huge reference to star trek itself because the number 47 just would just pop up and appear all over the place um, yeah yeah they, i mean they, they need it like the writers would need a number and so you would find that shields would drop down to 47%. 47 people would die in a disaster. There'd be 47 minutes <laughs> remaining until certain death. Yeah, <laughs> Just all yeah. this stuff. And it turns out that that was a, a campus inside joke at Pomona College over in the US. And the man who brought 47 to Star Trek was Joe Minoski, who was uh, an alumnus of the college. He was a writer on Next Generation. Uh, he started in the fourth season and he did episodes like Clues and Times Arrow. Uh, for DS9, he did Distant Voices and Time's Orphan. For Voyager, he did The Thor and Living Witness and and pretty much all of the two-parter episodes through that. Uh, he even wrote uh, Leth uh, for Discovery and was also a co-executive producer for the pilot episodes as well. Um, wow. And yeah, and he ended up passing on the bug to other writers and it's just kind of continued on from there. There's a yeah. really good article by Sarah Dolina. I don't know if I've got the name pronounced right. Uh, it doesn't exist on the college's website anymore, but it's on archive.org. I'm going to uh, link uh, to it in the show notes. Uh, but she wrote about the Mystery 47, goes into a little bit more information about the 47 connection with that. And it's it's very reminiscent of the number 23, the film starring Jim Carrey, where this number would just appear all over the place. So worth checking out. Call the number three
1: in well. cause and effect.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just seamlessly randomly just everything um, yeah like they had at one point like 47 people graduated you know it was just constantly there uh, but really good article worth the read yeah there was also I'm going to give a quick nod to a company called Useless Creations they did screensavers a lot later on uh, very so I'd say cheap looking 3D but again this was a screensaver and so for the level of 3D that they were going for was actually pretty good uh, they did a their Star Trek 3D Starship screensaver which had The NX-01 had the Enterprise A and the Enterprise D. They did also do one with Voyager. I can't remember if it was the same screensaver or if that was a separate one. And I'm going to link to those on archive.org where you can still get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it would take a lot of power in those days to produce, um, you know, for a computer to... I mean, 3D accelerators were only starting to come through, um, I think, probably at this point in the late 90s, like Voodoo 1 and 2 and 3. So just to have that as a, as a as a, a screensaver could be quite taxing for a computer yeah. um, already. And um, yeah, they, they look quite impressive still. Though the actual models, um, I mean, the guys that made those would have had you know would have been difficult to get something to look as close to the studio models as, as they can with so with such a low polygon budget available to them. They did a really good
0: job, I think. Very low processing budget <laughs> available from the system as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. They, they they did a lot. They did. Uh, a really good screensaver for the matrix they did one for superman returns spider-man harry potter star wars they've done a lot but the star trek ones are missing from their website so i don't know if they got into a bit of a legal scuffle there or not but it's on archive.org so uh, you can still get that one there um and and finally i think that the last utility that i remember having that we're going to talk about today is one called deep space nine voice print now, I don't oh, know wow. that the, I've tried to look around and I can't find much information left on it anywhere. I can't find anybody sharing videos on YouTube. If anybody knows where there's more information, that'd be great. Um, but I did have this. It was by a company called QVoice voice back in 1995. And it was branded like on the box, saying 24th century voice security software. And I got to tell you, this was probably the most excited um that I've ever been over just a utility package. Because this is not just kind of like, oh, this is cool sounds and things, which they did have. And um they were also surprise, surprise, using stuff from the autoclip stuff. Um, but they also had Avery Brooks, uh, Rene Armin Schimmerman, and Major Barrett all providing their voices for this as well. And uh I'll read the description uh, yeah. from from the publisher themselves says, voice print technology is no longer science fiction, it has become science fact. Windows and PC magazine editors called this voice and encryption program remarkable, innovative, easy to use, and unbreakable. More on that in a moment. (laughs) Uh, Now we've brought the power of voice print technology to every Star Trek fan. It limits access to a PC, its data, and encrypted directories by requiring not a password, but a voice match. The program uses the unique vocal characteristics of the human voice to create a voice print. Like a fingerprint, no two voices are identical. If your voice is verified, you're in. If not, you're ejected. Limited access to the internet and adult material and restrict excessive gameplay. It includes security shields and a complete set of DS9 communication emblems. And so... That's cool. On the surface, this is a fantastic piece of software. It feels like something straight out of Star Trek and the fact that you can just use your voice to unlock it just like they do all the time in the show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, yeah, that's crazy. um, I mean,
1: that's only really now becoming We now have got obviously like face ID and like touch ID and I don't think there's any, I don't think it's actually a common thing for you to unlock something with your voice. Um, I don't know if that's something people are working on becoming a mainstream stream thing.
0: Voice um, agents can certainly determine the difference between people, so that when you're asking, yeah. like you know, to read messages, it'll know which person and therefore which stuff. But not, you're right, not really from a security standpoint. And no, yeah. I remember, I remember setting this up, training it, and yeah. getting my sister to try and break in, and she couldn't. You know, completely locked out. I was so excited. I showed my dad. I was like, look at what I can do. And he goes, oh, let me have a go, son. So he goes to have a go. He's in.
1: <laughs> wow. That's a pretty good demo.
0: Uh, unbreakable, my ass. I yeah, could stop exactly, my sister yeah. getting in. But even when I tried to retrain it, just in case I screwed up and I was like, I'll try and do more of my voice, you know, a little, uh, especially as my voice hadn't even broken at this point, I don't think. Um, You're
1: not going to trust that to secure your, you know, most treasured no. files, are you? With no. that kind of a
0: no, my dad tried it, again. Yeah, still got in. Just got in every time. Um, but it was also one of the earliest times I came across copyright protection because I had a friend of mine at primary school who was you know, just as into Star Trek as I was, and he wanted to be able to have a go at it. So I lent him the disc, and yeah. he then gives it back to me, and I had a look. And he completely ruined the contents of the disc. He'd come across copyright protection, realised he couldn't install it because it had already been installed, and it seemed to make a log on the disc itself. And
1: it probably yeah, I don't know. It check, like it could check like well, normally it would check like uh, if it was like Windows or something. It used a serial number, doesn't it, to see if it's yeah. what, if it's a valid one. So yeah, that's interesting. More yeah, copy protection there.
0: So he tried to edit the contents on the the disc itself. He didn't try to duplicate the disc or anything. He just edited it. And so he broke the whole thing. So when I got got a new computer or uh, when I had to reinstall or whatever ended up happening, I lost access to this piece of software.
1: Well, that really sucks.
0: It does. I was so furious and angry, but I was also too young to really be able to do anything about it. It's not like I could say, you need to buy me another copy. We're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just not going to yeah. happen. Um, but <laughs> that that was uh, just probably it. It was a fun concept, not as great in execution, but it was a, it was a really neat idea, and I'd, I'd love to see something like that again in the future. But um, I, I think we would want it at an OS level as opposed to just an app that just happens to run on top of everything.
1: Yeah, and it needs to be mature a bit as well. That 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 te- technology really for it to you know potentially be in as good as face ID and touch ID and stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, now on long range sensors, we're picking up a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, which means we're heading to Quarks for season six, episode 12, who mourns for mourn.
1: Indeed. Yes. Uh, A beloved background character um, who got a whole episode about him. Um, Not probably in the way that, you know, you would expect perhaps, or maybe even hoped really, but
0: interesting. The other thing is, he was still considered a background character. But can you consider him a background character if there's an episode about him? I, I feel well, that this point. kind of elevates him above background character status. He certainly was before then, but I think that they give him... He, he, he's not... I mean, we'll, we'll go into this later on, but, you know, the whole purpose of a background character is it's just somebody in the background. This time, we really get to find out so much about him as a character that... Um, you know, he's he's not really a background yeah. one anymore. But it's it's almost unfair that he was still right up until the end, just still considered a background character.
1: We probably should like give an overview of Morn, really, because a lot of people may perhaps that aren't hu- completely up to speed on Deep Space Nine uh, will be hearing this show and wondering who is this Morn person. Basically, uh, Morn was a what was have what I've already said like a background like um, alien character who was sat in sat at Corks Bar. Don't know how many episodes he's in, but he's just sat at a Bar drinking. It's just a background character drinking, but it became so is so distinctive in his appearance. He looks like kind of a a, a a chunk of a block of wood with eyes, kind of weirdly cute in in a way. He's got little eyes and little ears. Looks like like a like a a, like a, a plank of wood or, or a Cadbury's Flake with with eyes and, and a mouth. Um, but he's just sort of—he's like the Star Trek version of Mo in 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 The Simpsons, as being like he's the known as being always being at the bar, and um and there's and he's in the very first episode of Deep Space Nine. You very briefly see him. Um, yeah. He's even in the first episode of Voyager because uh, there's, a, there's a scene on Deep Space Nine in the first episode of Voyager and Caretaker, um, in, in which takes place in Corks Bar. You see him in that. Um, and he's in, like, normally any time, like, Quark's Bar features in an episode of Deep Space Line, which is most of them, you'll yeah. see Morn at the bar. And he never, you never hear him talk. There'll be references to him talking, uh, or, mm. he, or he'll, he'll appear in a scene having just spoken. Like, you just finish a sentence and then the, we'll, we'll cut to where Morn is finishing the sentence we can't hear anything and the other person saying you know replying to him and then other people referencing the fact that god he goes on a lot doesn't he, he talks so yeah. much <laughs> it's like yeah
0: well i mean he was originally kind of named after norm from cheers because he was at the bar because yes. especially there was the director for the first episode was just like all right i want that character sat over here at the bar and that's where he stayed for all 93 episodes of ds9 Uh, He was also in Birthright Part 1 as well, in Next Generation. Um, Oh, yeah, that's on on, uh, Deep Space Nine, isn't it, the first bit? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Um, but the kind of joke that they did there in terms of him talking was kind of based on the Cheers spin-off, Frasier, with Maris, who is Niles' ex-wife. She is described as being kind of um, unique-looking, but you never see her. She's talked about all the time and she's so infuriating and uh and things but you you never see her once in the entire one of the show and in the same way uh you never hear mom talking but he apparently won't stop so off screen he just will talk for hours and hours yeah
1: which is quite, which is hilarious because you never hear it and there's times when he's about to say something and someone will interrupt him or something will happen that will cause him not to speak. So kind of like silent Bob in uh, the Jane silent Bob films. Um, yeah. you know, he's just about to say something and, and well, actually you do hear Jane silent Bob talk, but very, very rarely. And it's always this epic like moment when he talks, mm. but more than you never hear, hear him talking. Um, and okay, yeah. so yeah, he, we land here with this episode that's actually completely about him, which is amazing.
0: And it's, it's in the middle of the dominion War, and it's, a curiously placed episode because it comes just after Waltz which is when we see a very mentally disturbed Cat and Cisco who are stranded on oh, right. a distant planet and and he's you know Guldacat's just going completely insane um yeah, yeah and it's the episode just before Far Beyond the Stars which is a very very deep episode tackling racism and things that's crazy isn't it it's kind
1: of like a, like the eye in a storm
0: <laughs> yeah it's like this slightly lighthearted I wouldn't say it's a comedy as such, but it's certainly a bit more lighthearted and kind of probably the break you need between those two episodes.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's about the right level of humor, I think. You're not like, yeah. I don't think you'll find yourself sort of laughing at it, like, ah, ha, 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 you know. Um, it's just little bits that make you go, oh, <laughs> you know, kind of like yeah. that, a nice kind of, you know, laid back. It's no no sciencey stuff, really, or too over, overly science fiction-y stuff. Um, nothing to do that really nothing to do with the Dominion War but I think it's needed because um, like I said if you're watching this certainly nowadays where you can binge watch it the, the Dominion mm. War stuff can get quite heavy you say the Waltz is a very heavy episode um, of two people stranded on basically a planet at each other's throats and um, you know hallucinating It's it's a brilliant episode as well that basically picks up directly from the episode before it. Deep Space is great at that, isn't it? Just a constant the constant mm. story arc, and it really kicks off in this se- season. But yeah, it's, it is definitely needed from where we go after this. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this opens in Quark's Bar, and Odo walks in and starts grilling Morn over a shipment of beets that have been sat for two weeks and are starting to go off and leave a horrible smell and he's he's frustrated that Morn just isn't really acknowledging him, goes to tap him on the shoulder and then realises it's a hologram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because Morn is actually away on business at this point. And I love Quark, who you can just tell there's this moment of glee where he's like, you're slipping Odo. You should have caught on a lot sooner.
1: <laughs> and it's just funny that he's had to install a, a hologram of him because he's there so much on quote, unquote, mm. his stall. That um, you have to have. You need even just a hologram of him. You can't just not have more than that. I think yeah. that that's already hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, that he's he's described as being like a mascot, and that sales went down five percent the last time that he left. So that's why yeah. he's got it. Uh, but he doesn't have an interactive hologram because those are expensive. Plus, he kind of finds it a bit of a relief. Quark does uh, not to have to listen to him go on all the time. Yes, another joke. Another.
1: Reference to him talking a lot, apparently, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cisco and Dax walk in, and, and this is where this becomes quite the teaser to the episode. Yes. Because Dax is completely shocked to even see him, which you just assume like, okay, well, he, obviously he's not supposed to be there. And then we find out from Cisco, uh, He's he, very solemn. Yeah, he's, he tells him to turn off the, the hologram because uh, it turns out that Morn's ship was caught in an ion storm, and he's dead.
1: Yeah, and everyone is visibly... So Bashir and O'Brien are in the are in the um, bar as well, um, and yeah, they all are visibly shaken by this. You know, it's not not in a funny like. There's no humour here in this moment. No. Everyone, it it is kind of sweet in a way. Everyone genuinely cares about Morn, and you kind of because at this point you're already familiar with the fact that it's kind of an ongoing joke that um, he's always at the bar and you never hear, hear him speak. Weirdly, he is as a viewer. He has developed, like, you become fond of him yourself, even though he hasn't really done anything. It's kind of crazy. It's like a
0: weird conundrum. Yeah, He's part of the furniture. Um, Basically. Yeah. But like we said, this is where we start to find out more about his character because we find out for the first time after six seasons, he's a Lurian. That's his species, which we've not known up until now. And we even find out that he has a, a funeral that's been done by Lorian traditions, which is you know gifts of food and drink for the deceased so that they would have something to sustain them in the afterlife. Why is this not a human tradition? That's, that's what I want. Yeah, like, yeah. Why, why can't we have it that, that people bring g- gifts of food and drink when we die? <laughs> like, that should be a human tradition, not just a Lorian one. I think that's a great idea. I, I want see, something I'll... to sustain me in the afterlife. I don't want to
1: start. There's quite want... a lot of afterlives. Yeah, I don't. want I, I like the one where um, in Voyager, where you become like like sort of ethereal, like like cloud of weird of weird stuff that happens in 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 um, the <laughs> Voyager episode with Harry stuff. Kim. You know what I mean? Um, where um Harry Kim like and uh, accidentally gets like um, where he accidentally interferes with another race's afterlife like process. And you end up in these little casket things that kill you. Oh, yes. And turn you into like, you you beam into a weird asteroid, then you turn into like space cloud stuff. That sounds quite cool. But
0: it didn't make me think like, (laughs) that's no tradition I want. um, That's no tradition I want. Well, yeah. I want chocolate cake in the afterlife. I don't want the cloud.
1: It might be fun. You you don't know. Um, But yeah, um, so you find out his race. That's the first time. So then you always think, oh, do we ever see any more of these guys? I think the next time you see Allurian um, is, is, is in Discovery.
0: Yep. Um, yep.
1: There's an episode where there's a henchman. Um, yeah,
0: it's in season warrior. three.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I literally, when I was sat with my girlfriend watching that episode, and I literally turned to my girlfriend and said, oh, my God, I just saw, like, Morn. And she was like, <laughs> no, you didn't. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, look. And I, well, I like, rewound it and paused it. She's like, oh, my God, yeah, it's Morn. And we're, like, oh, we're obviously, yeah, oh, it's is not Morn. It's like, you know, this person yeah. the same race. But it was so significant that we saw another person of Morn's race that we had to just point and literally shout at the telly. That, that's yeah. how
0: significant it is. It is. No, it really <laughs> is. Star Trek. Yeah. 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 So we also find that Walk has been having weekly combat sessions with him in the Holosuite. And then. Oh, Walk- my God, yes. And then Worf is shocked to find out that Dax originally had a crush on him. But so there's Morn- that. Let, let, let's just go back.
1: Let's just go back a sec. So okay. Worf literally says uh, Morn was an excellent sparring partner. I miss yeah. our week in combat in yeah. the So your brain goes straight back to, you know, we obviously covered this episode um, um, where silence has lease where yeah. you see Riker and Worf do Worf's calisthenics, which are you know, his sparring combat stuff where they're quite aggressive and a little bit dangerous and Worf almost like tries to kill Riker for, for a split second until yeah. Worf, uh, Riker calms him down. So it will basically be that, but with him and Morn. So <laughs> <laughs> Picture that. And Morn talking, and, and talking the, the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he's really talk- talkative. Yeah. I would love to see that, but then I don't uh, at the same time as well, because I want to ruin the mystique of Morn. But that's just an amazing thought, just thinking about yeah. from that line.
0: <laughs> I love that we find out that Dax had a crush on Morn, which really yes. shocks Worf. And then she points out that that Morn wasn't actually interested. And you can tell from Worf, because he's just like, he wasn't interested? <laughs> it's, I'm not sure what surprises him most—that Dax had a crush on him, or that he didn't fancy Dax.
1: Yeah, I mean Bashir tried to crack onto uh, Dax, uh, Quark, like, on. load <laughs> loads of times. He cracked onto her like all the time. Um, she's you know a good-looking woman and everything, but um, and but at this point, I think Worf is is, uh, is Dax's part Palmer Kai at this point. I think yeah. Yeah, so, but that's kind of funny that she basically, she's had, you know, many, many men try to sort of uh, ask her out, but the one dude that she asked out turned her down, and it was Morn.
0: So, yeah. Another but, but, but this was all before war, she tries to reassure him. Yeah. Um, and then, then Quark starts ho- hosting the memorial service uh, in, in the bar, and he's trying to sell Iridian Ale as Morn's favourite beverage, which Odo yeah. sees through. He sees through this. Um, and, There's a lot uh, of
1: Odo kind of frowning and being oh yeah quark at Quark in this episode. Like what? that's pretty much all he does. Is, is Odo uh, annoyed at Quark for the whole thing?
0: Yeah, it, it's it's one of the best. Kind of them, kind of they're not upping one other as they do in some other episodes. It's basically just constantly like no matter what else is going on, they can see through everything. They know exactly what the other is up to. There's there's no, they can't hide it from any, from the other. But Quark is kind of pointing out that Morn hasn't paid his last bar tap, which is why he doesn't feel bad about doing any of this. And, you know, with having two stomachs, that fits a lot of food. And we've also found out previously as well, that Lorians have not just two stomachs, but they've got multiple hearts. They've got at least four lungs, what? I mean, so, what is
1: this? They obviously, like you know. We had this this nonsense when um, we found out Wolf had like you know nine hearts and fifteen livers and all that stuff. So no matter <laughs> you can kill him like multiple times, and they just thought, oh no, all he has two of everything. Like he has now two of every Yeah, of He's on. got a redundancy. Yeah, they, they have a redundancy for everything. So that like like they've they've taken that and they've run with it big time with Morn <laughs> with him all these organs that he
0: has. Yeah, it's, he has a lot of backup redundancy. It makes him very resistant yeah. to a lot of things. Yeah, But then, uh, and just going back to what we we're saying about Odo and Quark, uh, just the way that Odo winds him up, that now that his mascot is gone, his business will suffer. <laughs> going back to the 5% from earlier. Uh, Wolf comes in. like, he, he could just get the
1: hologram, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it might maybe pay for an interactive one, but he did say that's quite expensive, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Wolf and Dax come in, and Dax is telling Wolf just to leave it and let it go. So he's still going on about the whole thing with Morn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they, they kind of settle down, and, and Quark does this actually quite nice speech. There's a there's a painting of Morn. That painting is lovely. Yeah, it's it? a really good painting portrait very, of, really of Morn. Detailed. Yeah, yeah, and and Quark is pointing out, you know, this was his chair. And the biggest tribute to him would be to make sure that it is never empty. Now, the man that he leads over, I don't know if you know this, but the man that he leads over is Mark Allen Shepherd, who is the actor who played Morn.
1: So, yeah, there's a meta weirdness going on there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he, he, he sits him down. I, th- I think that's great. Of all the people that it is, it's him. Um, and he just goes, keep it warm for Morn.
1: Which <laughs> could be a T-shirt. that. that. No, uh, a <laughs> convention wearing that. So apparently they're gonna have like shifts of people sitting in his seat, it would seem. Yeah.
0: To, yeah. And, and Kira's kind of like every now and I think this is the like, the only time that you, you see Kira in this episode when she's like, every now and then what really surprises me. And Oda's like, Me too. Like at first you kind of think, Oh, this is just gonna be a very exploitative speech, but it's actually quite a genuinely good one, in all honesty. Cool, because it, you know, Cork. You know, you're, there's
1: already a bit of a gag where he's trying to flog like extra drink off off the back of him dying. But you do feel like he genuinely cared about Morn, mm. which is, and that's probably about as good as you'll get from a Ferengi, really. When they're mostly, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like they can't really say like go all out and have him everybody have free drinks. That that wouldn't be very Ferengi yeah. of, um, of of Cork. So, but it's it's very it's very nice and solemn and um, yeah, it, it's appropriate. So, um, I think from Cork.
0: Yeah, and th- and then we find out that Morn has left everything in his will to Quark. Cisco comes over and, and tells him, and he reacts in a peculiar way I, when he I tells don't... him he's he's got everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I don't know. Maybe you should be m- more surprised because you know he's not a relative or anything. I think mm. in Way of the Warrior, Bashir finds out that. Morn has like like a ton of like seventeen brothers and sisters or, or, or something. I can't think of the, the exact number. Um, you would think that you know he he would like leave some money uh, to them.
0: I, I do like Odo pointing out that it means that Morn actually thought that Quark cared about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's as good as you'll get, as I say from Quark. Really, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and uh, but according to the records, he was broke, and uh, they they start kind of trying to figure out between them what's well, well, all the. The money comes from him to be able to afford to, to buy drinks all the time. And they figure it must just yeah. be from his inventory of beets. At this point, it's,
1: it's six years of, of, of drinking, basically. You somehow have been able to yeah. fund. Yeah.
0: But I, I love when they're going to the beets and they're looking at them, and Odo's just laughing at that, like, this is all you've inherited. It's just crates and crates of beets.
1: And, and they do a cool little effect of like this little kind of weird puff of smoke comes out. To really illustrate that these are some kind of weird alien smelly things that are kind of gross. Um, I thought that mm. was a nice little touch um, in, from the effects department there. I'm um, uh, fairly yeah. low key compared to what they normally have to do, but well done, mister. You did the, the smoke. <laughs> smoke out of a crate effect. That's good.
0: But then, then they realize that there could be stuff in the quarters, uh, at, at which point Quark's immediate mind just jumps to, okay, well, there could be stuff I could auction off. And they go in there. And there's only two things in Morn's apartment. There is, first of all, a painting of a Matador, yeah. uh, which was purchased by Morn. And do you remember the season five episode in the cards? Yeah. That was what was presented at the auction straight after the baseball card that Jake and Nog weren't able to afford. That they wanted to get for, um, for, for Cisco for his yeah. birthday,
1: I think it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And they um, like Quark. Uh, mentions it's like a very old, sort of heat, like earth painting. and It's uh, acrylic on black velvet. Is how he describes it. Uh, and John Eaves, who was the production illustrator for the show, apparently painted ten duplicates of this painting.
1: Yeah, and uh, John Eaves, who of course would go on to design the Enterprise E and uh, the JJ yep. Abrams Enterprise, lo- lots of starships and cool like technology and stuff. Yeah, so he's, he can paint mat- Matadors uh, apparently multiple times, ten
0: of them. <laughs> yeah yeah and and then there's also a giant mud bath which apparently is his bed so we also know that loweans like to to bathe in in mud as they sleep uh yeah. but that apparently is for for the skin it's it's good for the skin yeah and as soon as odo leaves we find out that there's a woman inside which is uh quite the surprise Quag's <laughs> <And> quark's <laughs> like what are you doing in my mud
1: <laughs> yeah apparently like um I mean, she was saying, oh, I was going to hide. Um, and I was like, well, how long were you going to stay under there, though? you like, like, you die? <laughs> you know, it's lack of lack of, uh, of oxygen. Um, if it was like, you know what, I could imagine that would be, it's kind of funny that that's, that was his bed. You're expecting it to be some, I mean, it's his therapeutic, you know, bath that he uses every mm. now and then. But no, it's his actual bed. But I can imagine if that was quite warm and pleasant. It, it would probably be, you probably could drift off in there. Um, a bit d- dangerous, perhaps, but, uh, but yeah. It might be quite nice. Well, it's quite
0: a deep tub.
1: Quite dense Although, as well, the mud that's in there, yeah.
0: Then again, with over four lungs, it's probably less of an issue for him. He probably doesn't have to worry about uh, it. For Morn.
1: Maybe there's some tech in there that yeah. stops you from going under or something, yeah. You
0: know, <laughs> head cannon. Uh, but but this is <laughs> this is Lorel who we're introduced to as Morn's ex-wife of two years. Yes. And...
1: A very attractive, sort of dubbo girl-looking type, yeah.
0: mm she informs Quark that Morn had won a thousand bricks of gold pressed Latinum. So you kind of know that she's kind of after that as well yeah, as mean, the as the ex-wife.
1: Yeah, um, like Latinum. I mean, I don't, know, I don't think we touched upon it in the first DS Nine episode we did, but obviously that's fa- fairly well established at this point as being like uh, well, kind of from like the first episode of Deep Space Nine, I think, as being like the um, the currency that currency basically that seems to be universal um like all the planets that are kind of probably warp capable all seem to sort of accept that it's it's money basically Mm. um and there's various um sort of denominations there's like a slip of latinum which is like i don't know like equivalent of like a quid or a fiver now or something there's uh strips which is like i don't know like a 50 pound note or maybe even a hundred pound note um, and there's like a brick, which is like 500 quid or something. I could be completely yeah, off what you, which are,
0: Yeah, bar bars, which I'd be more inclined to think that they're worth a lot more than that. You're probably right, yeah. Yeah, but I don't, it's never really been established. And I think it's just easier for the writers to not establish what the actual value is. Yeah, um, and it kind of clashes
1: a little bit with Starfleet because obviously it's well established that there's no money in our society um, anymore well, on Earth. Um,
0: Starfleet do have... Stuff that they can use to trade with other races, though. Yeah. So it's just not used within the Federation. It's used to trade with people outside the Federation.
1: Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, does that mean like Latinum's kind of worthless to you know humans? Among obviously like, it is amongst ourselves and to other Starfleet um, or Federation planets probably. Uh, but we kind of kind of just play ball with the with everyone else, every, everybody else, when we have to when it comes to Latinum when Starfleet officers go to Cork's bar, is it free to them? I mean, I think it kind of I think I think it's no, kind I, think, of safe. I think
0: they get kind of like a it's almost like a ration yeah. of credits that they can use, um, you know, for for those kind of things. The places that the, the charge for it, yeah. Yeah. And it's more what Picard says in first contact that just the accumulation of wealth is no longer a driving force for humanity, uh, but for the Ferengi, it absolutely still is. Uh, the Ferengi are very much like the humans of today, yeah. Effectively. And and it's
1: that uh, Latinums are used like everywhere that isn't like basically planets that aren't like uh, like Earth where there's no money. Where there's some kind of money, Latinum seems to be the the thing that people use, and it's fairly universal. So yeah, yeah.
0: Quark starts to drain the mud. <laughs> in hope to try and find this Latinum. Uh, yeah. And Lowell is surprised that Clark doesn't actually know where it is. She was just obviously assuming that he did. Uh, and then tries to rub his ears to convince him to share. Yes. But he starts to insist it is. But he's he's still kind of easily manipulated by Umox. Yes. You know, that's very. Uh, We've already
1: established what that is. Yeah
0: yeah, it works. And then I, I love how he's he's talking to Dax and saying, like, who came up with this idea of suspending liquid latinum inside worthless bits of gold? <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so yeah, just like we've just been saying, it's
1: kind of a funny, like um device, um, gold press latinum. but it's you actually get more in, insight into kind of what it is in a weird way. We we hear the name yeah. and we see the 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 strips and the slips and the and the bricks, but we don't really know what it is. It's literally just like yeah. liquid, like a, a, a rare liquid metal in a in a block of gold. It's kind of weird. Yeah, we
0: find out a little bit more about it a little bit later, on. Yeah. But Dax is trying to keep him on track so that he doesn't get humiliated or manipulated. And they're playing Tonga uh, this he's, time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he's only agreed to 10% so that she doesn't time, you know, so that Lorel doesn't time up in court.
1: Yes. Laurel is clearly like uh, got an ulterior motive just from her appearance. Oh yeah. Appearance, and so it's clear there's something shady going on there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then he returns to his quarters and he finds two alien gangsters because that, that's effectively what they are. Crit and Nask. Yes. who are brothers. And we don't know what species they are. This is never mentioned, but they basically look like a cross between an avocado and a bicycle tire
1: <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good description or kind of almost like reptilian in some ways yeah
0: yeah little bulbous heads and we don't uh, see them again
1: <laughs> i said they don't have a name uh the race does not name at all yeah
0: no but i love the younger brother uh nask he's he's he reminds me a lot of rom that he's kind of he's serious but then he'll just kind of have this kind of jokiness about him and stuff he's like oh they do develop them a little bit, don't they? They give them a bit
1: of a personality. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they do try and give, make an effort to give them some, some character, which is good.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them again. It's a shame we never got to see that particular... Like, I, I don't care about the species, just those two as a pair I thought worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, but it was so late in the series, I don't think it would, they would have had time to bring them back. Um, but they claim to be business associates trying to get a loan back for Morn. And there's a brilliant haggling and bartering session going on where Quark's wanting 20%, they're wanting 80%, and they start kind of going through uh, trying to adjust this value uh, until Nask just smashes one of the 10 John Eves paintings of the Matador over his head, at which point he very quickly agrees to 50%. Yeah,
1: which is obviously he's lost a lot of this uh, yeah. inheritance you know, already. Yeah. And it also, we, we're we getting a, a huge amount of development of Morn's background that we never had an insight to, that perhaps he's got a bit a bunch of shady mm. stuff going on and people are after his money and, you know, he might not be what we think he is. There's more to him. So, yeah, it's really interesting yeah. stuff, actually. But humorous at the same time.
0: Yeah, and after they leave, he finds a locker slip to a storage locker that's in the painting. Uh, and then when it's brought out to him, he's expecting that that's going to have all of it. But it's just a very tiny, like, storage locker 137 is a tiny, tiny box. And when it's open, there is one bar of gold pressed Latin in them. Uh, But underneath, written in modern standardizing, is rest is in the bank of Boleus. So I like that we've got the Boleans kind of involved, kind of thing as well. Um,
1: Boleans who are shown frequently, uh, the blue, the yeah. blue skinned, bald headed dudes.
0: Yep. And uh, he's excited now because he, he can contact the bank and get all of the stuff. And Laurel is waiting outside for him and starts performing umox on him in the corridor. <laughs> which, uh, you know... Just, you don't
1: want to see that. You know, he's just here. like...
0: Yeah, he's like, not the time or place. Uh, <laughs> and then he goes to the tour lift and finds he's been pickpocketed. She's taken it. She's taken the bloody bar. Yeah, I tried to work out how would how she would have done that.
1: Like, it's, it's really... Oh, I was like, would she have a hand on his chest? Like particularly at any point. But yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I
0: think it's just clever editing. Yeah. yeah, Um, Really clever. And he's actually quite impressed by it. He's like, okay, that's, that's actually pretty cool. Um, But the brothers then come, stop him. And it's this fun kind of half threat, but half genuine apology for ruining the painting. (laughs) (laughs) And the younger brother is just kind of, you know, like, I I don't like to get upset. You really see they're a bit on him. He gets very angry when he's upset.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You get the feeling that they're yep. very unhinged and you don't want to mess with them. But it emphasizes that yeah. big time. And just
0: when you think that this is all kind of, we, we've we got all the players, he's he goes back to his quarters and suddenly there's a disruptor pressed into his back uh, where we meet Hain, who's a human claiming to be Lurian security. And he's got a signed extradition order for Quark's arrest because this latinum is government property. It tells a story about how Morn was a prince and Quarks confused, he's like you didn't know, but because he renounced the throne, uh, the money now all belongs to the royal family again.
1: And it's like, oh my God, like even more like revelations about Morn coming out of nowhere. So now he's a prince. And what disturbs <laughs> what me about Hain is he keeps like scratching his head with his phaser or like sort of holding it to his face while he's thinking. I'm like, dude, you got to be mm. careful with that stuff. You know, you, you can slip your <laughs> finger and blow your head off, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I noticed about this Hain per- person. Yeah,
0: he finds out that the L'Oreal is there, and that there's the two brothers as well. So there's, there's more of these people. And I just love the line where he's like, "I won't let anyone get in between the royal family and their Latinum." And Quark's responses, "And I won't let anyone get between me and my reward." <laughs> yeah, it's <sorry, laughs> very here. telling. Of course, it's like it's like okay, if I'm not going to get this, I at least need to get a reward. Like there's go- as long as I get something out of this.
1: He's absolutely fixated on like getting out of this with something. To show for it, yeah, yeah.
0: Going back to what you're saying about how like this is going to be a string of people sitting in Morn's chair. That's exactly what we see with O'Brien because he's repairing an optronic relay, and he's just trying to keep Morn's chair warm. He then gets up to leave to go test it, and Bashir offers to take over, and and O'Brien's kind of surprised. He's like, "Huh, good man." Yeah, it's a nice kind of. It's just it just kind of really goes to show Miles as the family man, and that you know he's getting he's very thoughtful. Yeah. Of things and it obviously means a lot to him to, to do that and, and Bashir's, I don't think Bashir would have been the first one to sit in the chair but I think just seeing O'Brien do it makes Bashir realise this is important, I should do this
1: Yeah, it's very sincere and it's not really played for laughs when you kind of the situation kind of almost makes you think it should be, um, so yeah, kind of charming um, you know, all of this, yeah. all this love for Morn is coming out, it's very nice to see it you know, yeah
0: Yeah uh we got Laurel saying that she's being followed by two men. So no guess as to who that is. Yes. Uh, so she she hides. The two brothers break the lock and they enter in. Hey and then Hain starts to fiddle with the lock. So they go and hide. <laughs> and uh so Hayne comes in. So uh, we've got Laurel, we've got Quit, we've got Nask all hiding. And Quark's trying to give hints.
1: Quark's got terrible
0: lock for starters. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Anyone can break in, it seems.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to get a new one. Yeah, um, and and Hane isn't getting the hint from Quark because he's kind of like trying to signal us to where all these people are, and he's just like, "Why do you keep craning your neck?" Um, yeah, so he's pointing
1: to where these people were hiding to give him a heads up on it. Literally.
0: Yeah, and then the brothers step out, and then as soon as Quark sort of mentions the Wall family, they just burst into fits of laughter, going like, "What lies have you been telling him, Hane?" Oh, the usual. Uh, and then Laurel steps in. And this is when you find out that it's basically been a nine-year reunion. And the penny suddenly drops. The
1: Sepian Mother's Day heist, yes.
0: Yeah, the penny suddenly drops that no one is, is what they say. Uh, but yeah, effectively, like nine years earlier, they planned and executed, uh, as you say, the Mother's Day heist, um, which was a notorious robbery that occurred on the planet Lessepia.
1: So they have a Mother's Day, apparently. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love it specifically Lesapian, that. The sepian
1: development of their race there a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> But they, they they stole a thousand bricks from the central bank, uh, along with Morn. And so they've been escaping the authorities. And now that the Statue of limitations is up after nine years, it means that nobody's coming after them. So they've come to the station to try and seek out Morn, only to find out that he's dead. But because they can't be prosecuted anymore... They agreed to split it, and of course, then they don't really need Quark anymore, so they threaten to kill him. And it's actually really cool how it's—it's it's a very implied, like we don't need him anymore. And they kind of turn and look at him, and then it, it kind of fades and cuts to black because that's where a commercial would be. But it's—and then as soon as you come back from the break, it's like straight up—they just threaten to kill him. Yeah and he's uh,
1: it's a great twist that yeah. they're all people that know each other and you know it's a whole the whole thing is just a, it's just becoming more and more convoluted you don't really know how Quark can get out of this really uh, which makes you want to see yeah. how, how it's going to end
0: and we find out that Morn isn't a prince but he's actually a thief that he was involved in this heist so th- there's a lot going on there yeah and, and Quark, Quark his whole defence is that they need his fingerprint so Nars the younger brother <laughs> he really tries to cut his thumb off
1: yeah, without, without, without any kind of, like, hesitation. Straight. <laughs> no, he just grabs his
0: thumb and <laughs> grabs a knife. Yeah. He's just about to, until Haynes stops him. And, um, you, you know, and they, they kind of point out, well, they, they, they can't just go in with a bloody thumb. It's a bit blatant, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so they're kind of like, you know, a thousand bars, five ways, and Nars calculates that as being 250 each. And yes. the Wells look of disbelief over uh, no one, how no bad one that <laughs> equation
1: is. Yeah, they just look oh, it's just,
0: priceless. Yeah, no one actually
1: comments directly. They just sort of look at him like, what? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not five ways, that's four ways. And you can see him continuing to sort of calculate it after they sort of move on and talk amongst themselves. <laughs> yeah. Which is a nice touch.
0: Yeah. And they move on to the bar and that's where they're kind of waiting. And they're, they're all kind of, I like that they all assume that one of them has killed Morn, uh, that it was one of them, but, when they find out that it wasn't and that it was a genuine accident, they're actually kind of surprised. And I think it's just more kind of fortunate for them more than anything. Yeah. And then Odo arrives and Quark's trying to say that these are friends of Morn and they're commiserating his loss. Yeah, because the bar's
1: closed, which is odd. Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially for the time. And then Quark kind of tells him when it's closed until. And you can tell that, like we've said, they can see through each other. Odo can totally see through... Quark, at this point. Yeah. And that's really, fine. that's kind of like a things are going to go down at this time. Yeah. Is basically what it is.
1: And perhaps, like, Quark is, a, is trying to get him to help him a little and Perhaps. then there might be a bit of a. That's it. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. I,
0: I think he would have been more vague. It would have been like, oh, probably until the early hours or something like that. But you you know, was, he gave him a specific time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They end up going and they, they find this big giant container and they open it and it is filled with. The hundred bars of gold press platinum, and quark is absolutely mesmerized and he just sort of dips his head in and all the guys behind him all suddenly point guns at each other and he steps back and then sort of sees all of them and they're in a bit of a, a standoff a
1: mexican standoff
0: that's it and crit starts talking about how hey my brother may be slow and that's like for the first time, this is again, it's just I love the character for me. He just goes, I'm not slow, turns, uh, it turns and, and points this disruptor at him, and then after a brief pause, actually shoots him. <laughs> yeah, and this firefight ensues. You know, it's not one of those like, you know, i like, finally broken it's just like, just straight up start shooting, no threats.
1: Instantly turn on each other, you know, there was no camaraderie at all at any point, and no the firefight ensues. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Quark dives into the container.
1: Yeah. He's Which like, is conveniently ahead. big enough for a person to get into, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he's like, go ahead, kill each other. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then you you hear Odo come in with a security detail. And this is all heard off camera. And you hear some phase of fire, right, stuff going on. And, um, you know, and then they're all told to stand down. Odo opens up the container and sees Quark cowering in there. He's like, oh, there you are. And... Yeah, you know, the other guys have all been arrested, and probably for a while, because it's all assault with intent to kill. So they're all going to be away for a long while, which is news—joyous news—to to Quark's ears.
1: Yeah, because he he's like, "It's all mine." Yeah,
0: yeah. And then I love how he, he picks up the the bars and he's like, "What you're about to hear is the most beautiful sound in the galaxy," <laughs> and he clangs again. Now we've he already heard there was a little bit of a clang when he was um you know sort of bashing the, the slits. Two slits. Yeah. yeah. Which is very distinct. But this apparent. is just a hollow Yeah. This is a hollow sound. And they start crumbling apart and there's just gold dust inside. And he's like, there's no Latinum in these bricks. And I feel like because you would never see the Latinum in a real brick of of it because it's all sealed off. I think that the sound is probably very, very distinct and that's probably how they verify that it's real
1: yes yeah you can't fake that a
0: little bit like with all coins people would try and bite a coin to see like will it just bend from a simple bite or will it actually hold its shape i think it's very much the sound of it is how they can tell which is an interesting way just that of how latinum works really yeah, again, you're kind
1: of getting more insight into latinum itself, which you never really got up to this point, you know, it was just a bar or a slip or anything, yeah. no, you know, the breakdown of what it actually is is interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's also weird how they use gold, I think it's just because it's just easier to forge, and it's obviously yeah. worthless, because he even describes it as, like, there's nothing here but worthless gold! <laughs> yeah, so it's and, like the truck, yeah.
1: like gold, which obviously now <laughs> obviously is completely, like, amazingly worth tons and, tons and tons and tons in whatever form it's in, it's at this point in time, it's just there to house the real good stuff. You know, the actual, the actual yeah. gold itself is useless. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and
0: Odo's Odo just laughs and he's like, and it's all yours. <laughs> and uh, Quark's just screaming, absolutely screaming. But he returns to the bar and he tries to tear the chair up from the bar. Odo interrupts, saying that he's got something to see, Quark. And, and we find out that it's Morn. He's alive and well, and he's faked his own death. Uh,
1: yeah he just turns up like yeah
0: yeah I like how he kind of demands an explanation he's like nope nope I don't mean to say anything like, and he starts basically just sort of reeling off
1: the Morn gestures he's about to say like give him a whole story yeah yeah and he stops him yeah
0: yeah and he finds out that the whole thing was just a scam to get these guys off of Morn's back and he knew that Quark would keep him busy until he they all eventually turned on each other which obviously what happened and Quark wants to know what happened to the Latinum and he spits it out. He just grabs a glass and just this latino just drools out of his mouth.
1: Kind of gross, but yeah. interesting. Yeah. Way of him doing and he
0: realises he realizes that that has all been in his second stomach for nine years. He's like, no wonder your hair fell out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting
1: way of stashing his, his um, fortune. Um, but yeah, yeah, another great little twist that's kind of... Um, it's, it's just a very, original, a very original end, really, that you wouldn't really have guessed. I don't think there's any way you could have guessed that, really, when you're watching the episode.
0: No. And, and it's not that much that's in the glass, but apparently that's 100 books worth. So even when you have this massive bar of platinum, there's barely anything in it. Yeah, you, you get to
1: see it, uh, I think, for the first time. You actually see, like, the actual latinum in gold breast latinum. And I don't mm. know if it's liquid when it's in those bars or if it's solidified in some way. I guess it is solidified. But it looks kind of like, it's not quite like mercury or anything. It's kind of almost partially see-through, almost like, a, a, you know, of a, a, yeah, it's
0: an interesting sort of yeah.
1: visual they gave it.
0: Yeah, and the actual effect is CGI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a little bit reminiscent of what the changelings look like in a way. Yes. But the, um, the audio of him regurgitating this out, though, uh, was apparently several days of Foley recording as well. And it took about six hours of editing just to, to make the sound. Yeah. And it's such a very short, subtle thing, but, you know, dedication to the craft. That's crazy. Yeah. And Kwok, uh, just like, as it's kind of cut into the end of the episode um starts talking about how there's primitive cultures who would love all that gold dust that they had that they could partner together. <laughs> and he's basically just going like, basically we just sell it to the humans. They love gold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that,
1: you know, gold is valuable still, you know, um some places just not, you know, for or anyone like like that. That's kind of funny. Yeah.
0: But I, I love that he was faking his own death. You know, and it is a Morn episode. We find out a lot about Morn, but you don't really like, he's not really in it much, but interestingly, the original plan was to kill him off.
1: Oh, wow. I wouldn't have liked that.
0: No, and we have uh, we have Penny Juday to thank for that. Now, uh, she was the art department coordinator, and she was also the track archivist. So she's been in a few documentaries. Uh, one of the uh, Next Generation, I think it was season two, had a documentary called Inside Starfleet Archives. There was another one that she did. Uh, and they that's where they kind of show some of the props that they had, like the shuttle and the Dyson sphere surface. And they even show the Galaxy class Enterprise, the one that was the Enterprise-D, in a storage container, but with the 1701e registration, because the Sovereign class hadn't been thought up yet. They put the E sticker on, just in case the next Enterprise had to also be another Galaxy class, just like the Enterprise right, A yeah, was still a constitution that. class. Yeah. you never seen it. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to also add this to the show notes. So uh, there's a it's up on YouTube, so you, you guys can all go watch it. And uh, she basically saved Morn. When there was a, a meeting with the producers and writing staff, and they were plotting to, to basically have it like, well, that's how he's dead. She's like, you can't kill Morn off. If you do that, you'll be killing off your mascot. The fans love Morn. Oh, yeah. And... as on. a... That's it. And uh, so thank you, Penny, for, for yeah. saving Morn for us. Yeah, would be, I, I
1: would have hated for him to have died. The ending of him coming back and then and then basically showing that he basically manipulated like all these people to kill themselves, meaning he's like, he gets off scot-free, is brilliant. You know, for him just to die. Mm. I don't know what the ending would have ended up with him just still being dead. That would have been so lame and really, really unnecessary and kind of... Mean-spirited. I, 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 I think yeah. um, there was no reason to kill him off. It, it's a great episode. It's really well placed between two quite heavy-hitting but really good um, episodes. These space lines really good at these light-hearted. It's one of the best Trek series for to do like light-hearted episodes where nothing really of consequence or galaxy-threatening happens. A, a funny, funny thing that I noticed as well, like the actual VHS release in the UK. The um the illustration. I still
0: remember Morn's face. Yeah, yeah,
1: kind of giving away the ending because it shows the glass that he regurgitates the uh the Latinum into. So uh yeah, I mean well, I guess you wouldn't pick up that that was what that well, was. No, um, you just, sorry, the first. No, you you just yeah. think
0: like he's at the bar drinking. is basically how you would see that.
1: Yeah, but it's really it's interesting. not really a
0: spoiler. Such they chose that,
1: <laughs> and um instead of doing like obviously a very um. Um, instead of they chose that as the cover for that uh, for that compilation, which was Waltz and Who Mourns for Morn, instead of like you know the very dramatic sort of scenes they could have used from the episode before. So yeah, that was kind of an interesting choice that they had more than that <laughs> for the cover of, of that. It's great that he got he got his own like cover illustration um, for, mm. for, for for a VHS release. It looks it looks really good as well. The, those Deep Space Nine covers are brilliant uh, that they that we got for the VHS. Really beautiful artwork they Um, are we got yeah really really a lot of
0: variety there's a lot of consistency and a lot of variety and so to get that balance is really cool whereas they, they didn't have as much consistency i didn't feel with voyager felt like voyager took a few it probably took like a couple of years or so before they kind of settled on a style that they wanted to stick to
1: yeah it was kind of just like the picture of like the cutout of the um the voyager ship that was used in a lot of marketing with a background yeah. of whatever the episode had, and they would kind of repeat that. But when you hit the second and third season, they started to do really beautiful. Some of those would be great if they just sold them. I don't know if they were ever available, but some of those, some of that artwork would make really good, just cool like Star Trek like like desktop wallpaper, um, you know, because <laughs> um, it was really really cool stuff. But anyway, we we digress. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that that episode. Um, one of the better sort of comedic episodes, but also quite charming and um, great development for Morn's character.
0: Yeah, and the comedy mostly comes from just the situational stuff that, you know, that Quartz only finds himself in the middle of all this stuff. Um, but at yeah. the same time, it does have that somber moment because it's not until the end that you find out that Morn's okay. The entire episode, you are also kind of thinking like, that character that we've kind of seen that we didn't really know anything about is dead and we're just now finding out stuff about him
1: yeah and you mentioned that you know you don't really see Mourn at all until the end really that's when you see the actual morn, but he's constantly in mm-hmm. a- he's basically in every scene he's being talked about and his characters have been developed without him really being there with all these fantastical stories well a lot a lot of it isn't true, but even so it, it, it's clear that there's more to him than just the dude that just sits at the bar all the time and it's yeah. it's just wonderful that a character like that can develop um like 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 that in a Star Trek show I mean. You would struggle to do that with Mon Trek, I think, because obviously they're very clearly focused on the set of characters that, are, you know, the ones that are kind of affecting in the stories. But, you know, hmm. um, it's only really Deep Space Nine that could have a character like Morn because of the setting. And like, it's, it's just a great illustration of that with this episode.
0: And just going back to what we said before, I just I, I wish that he was upgraded from just being classed as a background character because he's a main staple of of Deep Space Nine and you can't just give him this much character and go, oh he's just background. (laughs) Absolutely
1: yeah, they they clearly care enough about him to make this amount of effort um, for him to appear um, you know, have a whole, basically a whole episode he's in 93 episodes of Deep Space Nine um, and you know he's in TNG and Voyager so some mainline Trek characters don't get to be in three different series And Jake Jake (laughs) Sisko isn't in that many episodes of Deep Space Nine, you know. He's not even in this one. No, no, exactly. He'll go like <laughs> a dozen episodes without appearing. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy yeah. to think, you know, how much he's in it. And, um, yeah, just a great, one of the, the all-time greatest background character, even though background character isn't doing any service at all. And he's got a great Playmates figure as well. Uh, they actually made a figure of him, which is cool.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things that you also have in a lot of these shows, you know, just to kind of wrap up with, is that they always have a lot of characters that are just random, like Starfleet officers and things like that. When you've got a station and you've got a hub like Quarks, it's nice that there is just your regulars. Yeah, that they did do that with people like Morn. That you know there were, there were regulars at this bar, and that that kind of continues through there. So even before he had a name, before we had anything like that. It was just nice that there was still this guy that you would constantly see just in the background every episode.
1: It kind it was, of gives you a warm feeling inside, doesn't it, when you see him And It gives
0: there. it a bit more realism as well, that yeah. they are just in the same place, that they're not going around and people moving on and off the ship. It's basically just like, you know, this is a station where people live.
1: Yeah, it grounds everything, and it gives it like a life yeah. and a and a kind of character that without really doing anything, <laughs> kind of a funny way to put it, but yeah. No, it's it's just one of the great, you know, subtle reasons why Deep Space Nine is is, is brilliant. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, it's great that he got this episode. I wish I wish there was... You know what, I don't think... I was about to say I wish they got more episodes like this, but you don't want to overdo it at the same time, do you? You want to keep... He needs to keep that mystique. Agreed. Uh, so this was nice. Yep. He got his episode and he was still in the background and that was all we needed, really. I, I, I'm glad they kept him kind of a mysterious character to you know to, to an extent yeah. yeah
0: yeah absolutely well that wraps up this episode of long-range sensors uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us you can reach us at, via twitter at star trek LOS. Uh, you can go through our form on longrangesensors.com or you can even email us at at iCloud.com. so if you have any utilities and things like that that you've uh, that you've had in the past then get in touch let us know And if you want, you can also subscribe to us via Patreon to receive exclusive member benefits. This includes our new week-in-advance sneak peeks into the next episode that we'll be discussing, along with access to our private Discord channel, where you can discuss this episode with us and more by joining the crew of the USS Atlantic at patreon.com slash Sensors. We still have some founding member tier slots available, which gives you exclusive lifetime perks, So if you enjoyed the show and would like to support us further, please consider subscribing today. Another great way to support the show is to share it with others. Telling a friend, sharing it on social media, or letting your favorite talkative Lurian know about it goes a long way to help our show reach even more people, which will allow us to grow the show further. My name is Alistair, and you can find everything I'm up to at alistairmcfly.com. You can follow me at both at alistairmcfly and at imcfly on Twitter, and you can reach me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Trev, where can people find you?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Trev, and you can follow me uh, at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. Um, I've got another podcast as well, which is about uh, retro and modern gaming uh, with my co-host Stu. And that's at consoleshock.net. Um, it's also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So just do a Google search
0: and you'll find us on there. You've been listening to long-range sensors, where we're planning our own Lycepean bankai, so that we too can afford our own Morn hologram.